The following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to episode 44 of... Yeah, it's that bad. My name is Joel. And I'm Martin. And I'm Kevin. And this is the show that looks at supposedly bad movies and asks the question, is it really that bad? And what that boils down to is that we look at movies that are rotten, Rotten Tomatoes, and we reevaluate that score. Does it really deserve to be that low? Tonight's movie is 2009's Transformers Rise of the Fallen, directed by Michael Bay, starring Shia LaBeouf, Megan Fox, Josh Duhamel, Tyrese Gibson, and John Turturro. Transformers Revenge of the Fallen is a 2009 science fiction action film. It is the sequel to the 2007 film Transformers and the second installment in the live action Transformers series. This film currently holds a 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. How about a plot synopsis? The week Sam Witwicky starts college, the Decepticons make trouble in Shanghai. A presidential envoy believes it's because the Autobots are around. He wants them gone. He's wrong. The Decepticons need access to Sam's mind to see some glyphs imprinted there that will lead them to the fragile object that when inserted in an alien machine hidden in Egypt for centuries will give them the power to blow out the sun. This is the dumbest, what? To blow out the sun. Sam, his girlfriend, Michaela, and Sam's parents are in danger. Optimus Prime and Bumblebee are Sam's principal protectors. If one of them goes down, what becomes of Sam? <laughs> okay, Transformers 2, <laughs> Revenge of the Fallen. Rise. Rise of the Fallen. Revenge of no. the Fallen. No, Rise of the Fallen. Have we been doing, have we been saying it wrong this whole time? Revenge, revenge of the Fallen. It's revenge? Why are we saying Rise of the Fallen the whole time? Because that would make more sense. Rise of the Fallen. We don't even know what movie we're reviewing this week. Okay, Transformers 2, Revenge of the Fallen. What is your history with this? I saw it in the theaters and I fell asleep. That's that's all I have to say about it because <laughs> I'm sure you guys will elaborate a lot more on my viewing of it this time as well. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I saw the first Transformers, but uh, that was it. I stopped there. I never saw this movie before. I've never seen this movie. Quite frankly, I never really wanted to. Especially, I remember at the time, people were going nuts about how bad this was, right? Like, yeah. they were going crazy. Yep. I went to go see it anyway. <laughs> you were a glutton for punishment. I yeah. remember. I distinctly remember that you called me up and you said, we're going to see Transformers 2. Do you want to come? And I flat out said, no, <laughs> absolutely not. I want nothing to do with that. I remember I was going with my friend Rob, and we both knew how bad this movie was, and we said, eh, why not? What the hell? Let's, what the uh, hell? Let's give him our money anyway. I'm pretty sure we both left Transformers 1 with at least more positive note than we did in the past, right? Like, we kind of turned our opinions on the first one yeah. a bit, so we were a little more primed for this one. I don't appreciate that joke at all. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so let's do what we always do at the top of the show, we'll discuss the actors one by one, and we'll see how you thought they did. First up, Shia LaBeouf. He's a lovable scamp. He's a Joe everyman. He was way more lovable in the first one. That's for damn sure, I thought. He was. He was more likable in the first one. Lovable's a little too strong. But he was. his character was more relatable in the first one than in this one. He didn't even have a character in this movie. All he was was just another robot in this movie. I mean, <laughs> he spent so much of the movie just basically acting like a robot. He was having a stroke and writing symbols all over walls and with cake and stuff. 
stuff. There, there, there was no character. He wasn't. I generally like Shia LaBeouf, so he'll get a pass from me here. But this movie, you're right. He did nothing. Nothing was going on there. You know what? Every single human character in this movie, all they did was st- stand at the feet of the Transformers as they fought, yep. screamed mm-hmm. hysterically, and hid. Yeah. That's all they did, really. And a little bit of running. Yeah. So in the first movie, my complaint was that there's too many humans, not enough Transformers. In this movie, they scaled back the amount of humans, but they gave them nothing to do or say, just screaming and running around and hiding. Yeah. Ultimately, why are they even there at all, I guess? But then again, like I, I'm thinking about like if they got rid of all the actors and, and it was just robots, these movies would be intolerably boring. Yeah. The problem with I, the, I can't win. The problem with the people is that they're there to move the story forward. They're there to be relatable to the person who's watching the movie, and there's very little plot in this movie, and so it's hard to relate to what's going on. All the humans are just cardboard cutouts. Right. Dimensional. Speaking of which, next up, Megan Fox. She did not do anything at all. She was just there. She was eye candy. That's all she was. Very nice eye candy. I'll tell you this. Although it wasn't as distracting as it was in the first movie. No, it wasn't. But that is what she was there for. Yeah, that's pretty much it. She served no purpose in this plot. No. Right? Not not at all. Nothing to say about her acting chops? There aren't any. Yeah, again, no one really acted. No, no one had more than a few seconds of line delivery without us cutting to them running or a robot shooting at them. Or I can say one thing. She was supposed to be angry, I think, at Sam for like certain scenes in the movie. And she did a really poor job showing that to me. The two of them had zero chemistry. I agree. I agree. Even though in real life they were hooking up. During yeah, this time apparently. Period. So says Shia, right? Yeah. I believe him. The only scene that I, I, I thought He's they a... really had any presence was when um, the the female that, that wound up being a robot um, was chasing after the two of them and they were hiding out in the library and they had a little back and forth between Shia between and Between the shelves, and right? Yeah, between the shelves. Yeah. That, that was alright. Yeah, okay that was that. decent. It, it was 10 to 15 seconds of this movie that I was actually engaged in what the actors were saying. Yeah. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't want it to be all negative, right? Okay, next up, once again, just again, like the first movie, I'm going to lump these two guys together because they're practically the same character split in half. Josh Duhamel and Tyrese Gibson. Were they, they even were, in this movie? They didn't do anything in this movie. They, they had no scene that lasted more than 30 seconds. I really feel bad for Tyrese Gibson because he's not, I'm not sure if he's a bad or a good actor. He just, he never gets the chance. They were useless. Absolutely useless. I mean, in the first movie, I remember them doing things, kind of, right? And saying things a couple of times. Yep. It was the same problem, though, in the first movie. They would cut them for literally five seconds and then cut out again. Tyrese had nothing in this movie. Maybe, yeah. like, two lines? Yeah. Which makes me wonder why they carried these characters over at all. Like, what was the point? I mean, they cut out that Australian signals expert person from the first one, and Anthony Anderson's gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And finally, John Turturro. Thoughts? He's just a, a, a goof. <laughs> Real goofball? I'll say this. I liked his character a lot more in the first one. He was more dynamic in the first one. His acting was a lot better, maybe because he had a lot more to work with. In this one, he was just, he was a buffoon. You know what it is about John Turturro in this movie? In the first movie, let's say, like, there's a, a from one to ten, right? That's that's the, the level of extremeness that mm-hmm. people will act, like, uh-huh. over-the-top acting, right? Yeah. I would say that in the first Transformers movie, everybody was at, an, like, an eight. Mm-hmm. Like, all the, all the humans were, like, at a level eight. 
eight of of extreme acting and like I don't know like at a one would be I don't know like Colin Firth and like the King's Speech you know like really measured <laughs> yeah but in the first movie John Turturro he was like at a ten like his character was the most extreme mm-hmm. right. out of everybody so in Transformers two every single human character was ratcheted up to ten yep. all of them right and he was at a twelve yeah yeah Judge <laughs> he broke the mold he just <laughs> kept going in this movie I felt as if he wasn't as extreme and as annoying and obnoxious because everybody else was at the same level that he was. Mm-hmm. That's what his character was supposed to be, or at least from the first movie, that's what I wanted him to be. And I didn't get it, so I was a little disappointed. Alright, so that's pretty much it. These actors... Actors? No, there's no acting. These actors? Perhaps we may shed some light yes, into what there was may, going there on There may here. be some reasons behind so, a lot of the faults that we've pointed out so far. So they may not be to blame completely. So let me describe the history of Transformers 2. In September 2007, Paramount announced a late 2009 release date for the sequel to Transformers. A major hurdle that was overcome during the film's production was the 2007-2008 Writers Guild of America strike, as well as possible strikes by the Directors Guild of America and the Screen Actors Guild. Bay began creating animatics of action sequences featuring characters rejected for the first film. This would allow animators to complete sequences if the Directors Guild of America went on strike in July 2008, which ultimately did not happen. The film was given a $200 million budget, which was $50 million more than the first film. And some of the action scenes rejected for the original were written into the sequel, such as the way Optimus is reintroduced into the film. Writers Roberto Orochi and Alex Kurtzman originally passed on the sequel because of a busy schedule. The studio began courting other writers in May 2007, but as they were unimpressed with their pitches, they convinced Orochi and Kurtzman to return. The studio also signed on Aaron Kruger as he impressed Bay and Hasbro president Brian Goldner with his knowledge of the Transformers mythology. The writing trio were paid $8 million. Screenwriting was interrupted by the 2007-2008 Writers Guild of America strike, but to avoid production delays, the writers spent two weeks writing a treatment, which they handed in the night before the strike began. Bay expanded the outline into a 60-page script mint, fleshing out the action, adding more jokes, as well as selecting the majority of new characters. The three writers spent four months finishing the screenplay while locked in two hotel rooms by Bay. Kruger wrote in his own room, and the trio would check on each other's work twice a day. What is Bay like a like a <laughs> slave master? <laughs> <laughs> Orochi described the film's theme as being away from home. While the Autobots... <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> while the Autobots contemplating living on Earth as they cannot restore Cybertron, while Sam goes to college, he wanted to focus between the robots and the humans, much more evenly balanced, the stakes to be higher, and more focused on the science fiction elements. Orochi added he wanted to modulate the humor more and felt he managed the more outrageous jokes by balancing it with more serious plot approach to the Transformers mythology. Bay concurred that he wanted to please fans by making the tone darker and that moms will think it's safe enough to bring the kids back out to the movies, despite his trademark sense of humor. So he's tricking, (laughs) tricking parents into bringing their children to a dark and horrific movie. (laughs) Bay stated he found the climax of the first film to be weak, partially because it was shot across five different city blocks, making the action confusing and hard to follow. And this film, the final battle in Egypt was devised to make it easier to see what was going on. Hasbro became more involved in the designs of the robots than in the first film, and they suggested to the filmmakers that combining robots be the main draw for the sequel. They insisted on keeping the alternate modes of some of the returning characters similar, so people would not have to buy toys of the same characters. Bay used real F-16 
16 Fighting Falcon and Tank Fire when filming the battles. Many of the new Autobot cars supplied by General Motors were brightly colored to look distinctive on screen. Revenge of the Fallen features 46 robots, while the original movie only had 14. There was considerable negative reaction to the characters Mudflap and Skids, who some perceived as embodying racist stereotypes. Michael Bay has admitted his disappointment with the movie and has apologized, saying the movie was crap and blamed the 2007-2008 writer's strike, saying it was very hard to put the sequel together that quickly after the writer's strike. The film was nominated for seven Razzie Awards featuring Worst Actress for Megan Fox, Worst Supporting Actress for Julie White, Worst Screen Couple for Shia LaBeouf and either Megan Fox or any Transformer, and Worst Prequel, Remake, Ripoff, or Sequel, winning three in the Worst Picture, Worst Director, and Worst Screenplay categories at the 30th Golden Raspberry Awards. Revenge of the Fallen closes box office run with how much worldwide? 450. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> you, sir, have lost your crown. You were the box office king for many months. <laughs> you can't revise that figure? <laughs> I'm talking worldwide gross, not North American. 700? Well, that's a little better. <laughs> the film grossed $836 million worldwide, being the 12th highest grossing film of all time domestically and the 28th highest internationally. What do you think? Good for Michael Bay. <laughs> <laughs> May he continue to direct May he forever and ever. Yeah. <laughs> continue success. <laughs> Let's begin reviewing Transformers 2, Revenge of the Fallen. I mean, it was a movie, right? I, th I think it was a movie. I, I guess. Mean, it was a series series of events strung together. Okay, so this movie starts off with Michael Bay taking a page from the Steven Sommers playbook. <laughs> he opened up with a cold pan, no! 1930s. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Enough. So this movie starts off with a, a cold open, but instead of being the 1930s, he goes all the way back to the year 7,000 BC. 17,000 BC. I stand corrected. So what was going on back then? Robots were stepping on people. That's, that's, that's what I got from that scene. Aborigine, yeah. caveman-looking guys. And a tiger yeah. was about there hunting a tiger. This robot looks like a pharaoh. So he, this is a giant robot that's very sophisticated, right? Correct. And he's there killing people? Why? Cavemen. <laughs> Cavemen, right? Yeah. Why does he care? That's something a five-year-old would what, do to ants. What, humans be gone? You're assuming that he's going to wipe out the entire human race? Okay, so there's this big mechanical robot. He's very advanced with his technology. He's killing humans. Wouldn't humans be wiped out by something like that? Or if they did survive, wouldn't this be the basis for all world religion? Yeah, I mean, wouldn't I mean, this, this be... Thing's like a god inside isn't of it? cave caves and paintings and stuff like that. I mean, this thing's definitely. It's, I mean, no, no, no. I totally agree with Kevin. This, that's this a, should, that's a good point. Although we do get strange symbols later on in the movie, and then we smash cut to the present with the Autobots fighting the Decepticons for some reason. And right off the bat, we get this dirty ice cream truck, and it says "Suck my popsicle" on it. Right then and there, I knew. Like I shook my head and I said, "So this is it. This is what we've come to." <laughs> it's this super racist ice cream truck. Mm -hmm. Is what it is. It's Michael Bay making a racist ice cream truck. Yeah, apparently. The, I didn't even think it could be done, but Michael Bay made an ice cream truck racist. In this movie, apparently, the humans are in league with the Transformers. The Autobots are hunting the Decepticons. Together. Yeah, they're hunting them, yeah. and, and uh, they form Ironsides gives one of the best line deliveries in the entire movie. He's here. 
I smell him. Yeah, they have olfactory. Yeah, yeah why? Yep. Why are they yep. able to smell? They can smell. <laughs> All right, I'll let that slide. I mean, there was these transformers there. Like there was this giant two wheeled one. I think that's probably my favorite. He looked really cool thing he, in this movie. He was enormous. He was really big. He was driving around, like killing people. How a creature like that can go on a rampage and not spread through the media? I don't know. I mean, it, it literally killed people. Yeah, I mean, it, it, was, was, it was in was China under, though. Underground media, right? I mean, a few people had cell phones and it was in China though. So they probably. But we're also led to believe that this isn't the first time this has happened, right? No, all over the globe. So you, you can you can see that something like that being held back in China's media, but in anywhere else, media. almost anywhere yeah. else in the world, that's going to get out. This thing was riding all over highways, running over hundreds of cars. It was killing probably hundreds and hundreds of people. Yeah, I think it was the best looking. I can't differentiate any of these Transformers. I know who Optimus is, I know who Bumblebee is, and I can sometimes figure out who Megatron is, but I, I, I confuse him with Starscream sometimes. All of the Decepticons look the same. They look exactly the same. They're all just silver. There's no color to them. Yeah, let, let's talk about the designs of these robots, please, if you can. I really don't like the way these robots look in this movie, for the most, Decepticons specifically. Yeah. They just look like shards of it, metal. In my opinion, they made no effort to make the robots look like they had any car parts. Okay. Right? I, I thought in the first movie, there was a better job done of looking at a robot, and you could say, like, oh, look, look, look there's, there's parts of the car that make up the robot. In this movie, it was just, the car was a shell. Yeah. And once it transformed into a robot, it looked like a robot and nothing like it had come from a car. The biggest problem I have with the design of all the robots in this movie isn't the lack of car parts. It's that I can't discern what part of the robot goes to what. There, You have all these angular shapes and I, I, I can't tell where the arm begins and where the where the neck starts. Where do the legs begin? And it's like when you're looking at something like that moving really fast on screen while a camera's spinning around 400 times a minute, it gets really confusing and jarring. Y- yeah, I mean, they got Optimus and they got Bumblebee correct because they have very distinctive silhouettes and, and colors and, and too. color and yeah. color whereas the Decepticons are just a big mess of pointy shards and they look terrible all of them yeah. Starscream looks almost identical to Megatron in my opinion yeah I agree like I can't tell them apart either and the Fallen too that guy he looks very similar as yeah. well right so so whatever we find out that the Decepticons and the Autobots are fighting all over the globe who cares we cut to Shia LaBeouf he's going to college yep. to unknown American University in, in the yeah East they Park. never did say it did they I don't think so my favorite characters from the first movie were Shia LaBeouf's parents and they brought them back for some more hijinks. Yeah. What'd you, what'd you think of this? They were goofballs. They're the only actors in this movie. They're the only people that are uh, emoting anything. I, I didn't find them likable in this movie though. I did find them likable in the first movie. This time they were just, again, they were, like you said, dialed up to 10. Okay, so the, the question becomes, what the hell are they gonna do for a sequel for Transformers, right? Like, it, it seemed pretty clear-cut and definitive that the bad guys were destroyed in the first movie. So, how are they gonna go about reigniting this story? So, what, how about one of you guys take it? This is the, the most enraging thing for me in this movie. They reintroduce the cube, which is essentially a, a piece of material that gives life to any type of mechanical object in the world here. And Sam, like a piece of it splintered off and got stuck on his hoodie. And that's how they reintroduce it. <laughs> He's like, oops. And it falls through the floor and just, it's back out there, guys. Like, really? That's how you're going to reintroduce this enormous plot point oh to your no, movie? it happened again. Oops, it was on my hoodie. And isn't it, ha- didn't they say it's been two years since the events of the first film? Yeah. So that, it's just sitting in his hoodie for two years, never been washed. He's like, it's I'm going to wear it to college because it's it's going to remind me of all the great, terrifying times I had fighting giant robots. It's my, it's my game day hoodie, right? Yeah. Isn't that what he said? Yeah, his Super Bowl jersey. Yeah, it's his Super Bowl jersey. And then 
then this little shard, this little turd, falls out and burns its hole through the floor. Yeah, like he touches it, it burns him. Like a shockwave comes out of it, and all the appliances turn into Transformers, which is an idea I thought was stupid the first time, even stupider this time. The blender turns into a robot, and they all start shooting bullets at Shia LaBeouf. None of them hit him, <laughs> even though he's f- they're five inches away from him when they're firing <laughs> rockets at him. And, and they're, these bullets are not small either. It looks like they're the Tracer equivalent. rounds. These robots are running amok. They blow up the kitchen. The parents see it. They go crazy. And then Shia LaBeouf screams, Bumblebee! Yeah. For, for the first of many, many, many times in this movie, right? Mm-hmm. Bumblebee and Optimus. He screams those two words. I would say 85% of his dialogue <laughs> are him screaming Optimus or Bumblebee. And so Bumblebee bursts onto the scene and he saves the day. And we come to find out a little interesting quirk about Bumblebee as a character. He still can't talk. Despite the fact that at the end of the first movie, they fixed him and he was very articulate, actually. You remember? He was like, I'm going to stay with the boy. I will protect him. Remember? Like he, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's smart and intelligent. <laughs> so what happened in the, in the two years since? Like, he started smoking cigarettes and like... Well, he was like a throwaway line, right? He's like, he, he can talk. He's just... He doesn't want to. Yeah, he just doesn't want to. What? Stupid. I assume that he developed a drinking problem because he just missed being home. Or... On, on Cybertron. How, how about this? The writers, they didn't want to pay anybody to write lines for him because of the writer's strike. How about this? Sure. They found his character more enamoring, you know, being more like a pet to him than an actual character. Yeah, so he ta- again, in this movie, he talks via songs on the radio and pantomime. That was great. Phenomenal. Yeah, so right after Bumblebee saves the day, saves their lives, right? By blowing up their house. Well, he stops all those things from killing him and his family. He does. Oh, which, which, by the way, while this is all happening, we get two dogs humping. <laughs> Constantly cutting to two dogs humping. <laughs> Why? Michael Bay, you did it again. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, you, you have something to say about this sort of thing. Like, this is Michael Bay uncut, right? Yeah, I mean, this seemed like that's he made a ton of money for this studio for that first movie, right? And with this one, they're like, here's 50 million more. Do whatever you want. You're the golden boy, Michael Bay. <laughs> you can do no wrong. So You want dogs humping? Here, yeah. Go for it. You want racist robots? <laughs> Make it happen. (laughs) And I think it's enhanced even more so because this is entirely his movie. He didn't have a script. Yeah. He he, was was in charge of every every aspect of this movie. What was the name of the script? It it wasn't a script. Scriptlet. Scriptlet. Scriptment. Scriptment. What is that? Treatment. What does that mean? It means that it's just like a plot point by plot point that he has to follow and he just makes it up in between. It's an outline. A treatment is just like the first draft, right? Yeah. So it's like he's running off the first draft, essentially, and, and he's plugging in his own little racist jokes. I feel like there was a lot of gaping holes, probably, and he just had to fill them in with he, dogs he, humping. He probably forgot that Bumblebee could speak at the, last, <laughs> at the end of the last movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then put that as in the script bit himself and then it got through the, quality control. And at the uh, final, in, in post, the writers are like, no, we fixed Bumblebee's voice box. He's like, oh, uh, we'll, whoops. whoops, we'll put a ADR line in there. <laughs> yeah, Megan Fox's lips were even moving, okay. she's like, still not <laughs> She's been chilling <laughs> So right after Bumblebee saves everyone's lives, 
Shia yells at him. Yeah, he scolds him. Like a dog. And like tells dog. him, hey, by the way, I'm going to college today. She can go to hell. So Rot. You, you can't come because I'm a freshman. I can't have a car. So you're stuck here all alone. Which leads to such an emotional scene when Bumblebee weeps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tears roll from his eyes. I mean, there's a surprise. He took a hot piss on John Turturro in the first movie. <laughs> this doesn't look like crying to me. He's shooting some sort of motor oil. It's like an ex- Sure, I was it's like she'll wash her it's, it's like a gushing explosion of fluids out of his eyes. <sighs> it doesn't look like crying. Maybe, I don't know. It was, car- it was that emotional. It was cartoon-esque. Tears burst forth from his eyes. Cartoon. Cartoonish. This whole movie's cartoonish. That was especially so, though. Speaking of which, we cut to the army military base and... <laughs> So the two uh, racist robots, they get a, a facelift, they, they change forms. Oh, and, we, we, we keep calling them racist robots. The robots aren't racist. The way that the they- The people who created them. The people who them. created them are super racist, and these are the worst stereotypes that you can make so for- So if the technology to make Transformers 2 existed in the 1920s and 30s- These, these are the robots that you would end up with. Some hyper-racist <laughs> animator would have created these stereotypes. <laughs> and the whole time, they're doing all this slapstick. They're saying like they're- their stupid slang talk and they're slapping each other on the ass and they're like doing all this crap and then it smashes cut to this very solemn <laughs> military they were saluting <laughs> as they're carrying caskets with American flags draped over pine box <laughs> caskets of dead soldiers like these Decepticons are killing hundreds of soldiers and they're like come on bro and they're like slapping them in the ass in the back it's like, burr, 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 burr. like these, these robots are jumping around and giggling they're carrying dead bodies Everywhere. That was very Armageddon to me, right? How Armageddon had that over-the-top patriotism crap in it. Right. Juxtaposed with all the... the all that crap. That was it all in, all in one scene, right? It was very weird. It, was, it made me feel really uncomfortable. If the, That's like a good way for me to put it. I felt, I felt awkward watching it. Essentially, Tyrese Gibson and Josh Duhamel are at the base where these soldiers are being brought off of, I guess, these transports where they're all, I guess, lining up to go back out again and fight some more Decepticons. And this guy in a suit, like literally, if you could personify the word a suit. <laughs> bureaucracy. Bureaucracy personified. personified. This guy shows up and he's like, I was appointed by the president to, oh, you know, to watch over all the actions of the Autobots and the soldiers together. This new guy, he questions whether or not we can trust these alien robots from space. And to which Tyrese Gibson replies, Together we sacrificed blood. Blood, sweat, and precious metals. <laughs> Kevin? That's just outrageously stupid. <laughs> like, we, we, we've laughed at it, like, a few times, and now, like, it's just... It's not it's funny anymore. It's lost its humor. It really has. Even this, the outrageously stupid stuff, it's just, it just wears thin. I had a problem with, with this character in general. I thought that this whole side story where, like, the Transformers are causing the problems, or the Autobots could be part of the problem. Yeah, this this This, this was totally unnecessary. It's Ghostbusters, right? Oh, it's hey. the Weasley guy from Ghostbusters. Good point. Yeah, so this overseer guy comes in, and he complains that the Decepticons are causing trouble worldwide, and the only reason they're doing so is because of the Autobots. The Autobots brought this trouble to Earth. It's their fault. They should get the hell out of here, and things will be better. You know, I kind of agree with them, actually. <laughs> he's, he's right. Oh, so you think they should repeal Kaka? <laughs> what is what is The Kaka? Classified Alien Autobot Cooperation Act? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I hear Kaka. <laughs> Kaka was secretly passed by, by Congress, right? It was a secret congressional bill. Yep. So this guy then proceeds to say where out loud, gives, gives a speech where describing exactly where Megatron is and where the remaining piece of the AllSpark is. Like back to back, it's like boom, boom, oh, boom. Oh, oh. He's like, here's what we know. Megatron is here. It is there. It's like it's like a Bond villain explaining his whole caper. Every single right before he's gonna person kill Bond, in right? that room they knew. knows what he's talking about. He's reciting something everyone knows. So at the same time... What one a of, coincidence. One of the Decepticons is listening. Yeah, they've hacked into the satellite systems and they're listening to the conversation. So now all the secrets are revealed and they can get Megatron and bring him back to life. Didn't they do something like that in the first one where they hacked into the satellites? So we're now 30 minutes into this movie. And what has happened so far in the plot? Nothing of any importance. We got a hot freshman 55, though. I don't even know what that means. I know what the Freshman 15 is. So what's the Freshman 55? It was like just 55 flashing, it was this flashing screen that it was the introduction of the side character who, again, the hacker friend, which was oh, an unnecessary another, character. Just like in the first movie, another goofball hacker. Right. And he had this like algorithm set up to take all of the images of the incoming freshman and have the hottest 55. And he called it the Freshman 55. Yeah, great. And Social he's like, network. Wonderful. And he's like, this is our dorm. It has their main bedroom, which is a normal dorm room. Hey, oh, oh. For, your, for, for, for a freshman, that's a normal dorm room. And then there's a side room that is the size of the West Wing of the White House that goes all the way back with hundreds of programmers just... Yeah, hacking in Shalabaugh's bedroom. <laughs> By the way, I hate this character. He is 100% unnecessary. I was spot. hoping we wouldn't even talk about him. <laughs> I was really hoping he wouldn't even come up. Because he's in this movie just as much as anyone, and he's completely useless. He has some greasy curly hair. Oh, speaking of grease, every <laughs> single human being in this movie is dripping with baby oil and grease. What do you say to that? Did they... Every man, woman, and child. It looked like an episode of Jersey Shore. Yeah, everybody was orange. Everyone's orange. And drippy. And greasy. Slimy. Vassal. Slimy. Slippery. (laughs) (laughs) During this whole thing, Shalabaugh's parents are moving him in, and his mama eats pot brownies. I don't don't understand how she could have gotten through life without knowing what a marijuana leaf looked like, because the baggie she held up had a giant insignia of a marijuana leaf. She was old enough to live through the 60s and 70s. I think that she was prime time age for that. Yeah, she ate pop brownies and she went buck wild. I think this was supposed to be comic relief. Was it comedic? And were you relieved? Gentlemen? I think this, I was in, I was comedically enraged. <laughs> this was one of the few moments where it was silent. We, we weren't laughing. <laughs> no, Kevin's absolutely right. I was angry. I was angry at the way they made her behave, too. They made her act like she was straight out of Girls Gone Wild, but she ate a pot brownie. Shouldn't she be, like, napping on a couch somewhere? All right, and this, this whole time, there's this super hot freshman star. Talking Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Why would you say it like that? <laughs> I choose my words very carefully. No, 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 you don't. <laughs> so they, they go to this uh, college party, and I swear to God, like this Fred house looked like a club on the Upper West Side, you know, Manhattan or something. Nicer than that. It, it had a packing district or something. At the college parties I went to, we were lucky if we had red plastic cups. <laughs> <laughs> and there's something they had like it's like a full-blown DJ and like light setup. I was happy to have a 30-pack of Keystone light. Yeah. There is a elk coming out of the wall of this club. Oh, An elk! And Shia LaBeouf gets molested by <laughs> 
ultra hot girl. That's the best way to put it. He gets molested. <laughs> yeah, it, okay, so. She forces a lap dance on him. I know, poor guy. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> Megan Fox is back home on her Cisco telepresence computer. <laughs> <laughs> trying to set up a little a hot voicemail. Well, this is all going on. As you said before, Shia LaBeouf touched the shard of the AllSpark, and that kind of transmitted some sort of forbidden knowledge into his head, which is, I don't understand why. I mean, I he guess... He touched it before, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. But the cube was dying, I guess, so it needed to transmit its power to the something. The cube is alive? It's life personified. Like, the cube was just a container for if the, life? It's an isomorphic algorithm. Oh. oh. Bio digital jazz man <laughs> That's what's about to happen in this because it's an isotonic solid. Some biodigital jazz plays in Shia LaBeouf's head because <laughs> the the all spark shoots its load into his brain, <laughs> and now he can see all the Transformers' forbidden knowledge. He becomes super smart, like when he's in class, he has like a seizure, and he's like, and he disproves Einstein's many theorems. And when he's at this party, he dips his dirty finger into a cake and then smears. <laughs> Symbols all over the table. Wait, very... Why was there a big like birthday cake? Yeah, at yeah, this like rave you, party. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of stuff going on in this party that did not make any sense to me. This is what the Decepticons are after. This forbidden knowledge. This is a total ripoff of Farscape. To the two nerds out there that are listening to this, <laughs> they know what I'm talking about. Why did they need this information from him? I, Energon. They're looking for Energon. We never found the Energon, did we? No. We didn't. We didn't even see Energon. I wonder how they would even. That went nowhere, right? That, that they went nowhere. They just, they just talked so about. So what it. was the point of any of that storyline? <laughs> What was the point? Where did it go? <laughs> yeah, you're right. Martin had an amazing point about Sam going to college last night. Shia LaBeouf tells Megan Fox that it's a big deal that he's going to college. Right, right. Because his grandfather was like, yeah, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. scholar? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Shalom Buff says that he's the first wit wiki ever to go to college, despite the fact that his grandfather was a Rhodes Scholar and world famous explorer, the first person to like go to the North Pole. <laughs> he like went to Oxford. He was part of like their their discovery team. He was famous. Why is it a big deal that he's going to college? That's like that's stupid. That's an afterthought. If only I had a recording of what happened last night when Martin said that to me. I literally, I'm not exaggerating. I fell to the ground crying and laughing <laughs> at the insanity of this. And when, when I got up, my jaw snapped and my jaw hurts. I can't open my mouth because that's such a huge plot. That's such a huge plot point. Like, all right. I understand that this, that the writers were not there for this script. You're laughing. No, but I, all right. I understand that there was a, a writer's strike, but Michael Bay directed the first movie. He had to know, right? He, he directed those. He directed those, it. Those, he, Paul sees, right? <laughs> yeah, he, he was there directing it, wasn't he? How could he, like, let, like, such a, a egregious, contradictory statement be made? Okay, so while this is all going on, Megan Fox gets attacked by one of the worst-looking Transformers of all time. He's this horrible-looking RC car. Looks like absolute garbage. And she captures it, puts it in a metal container, and somehow manages to smuggle that on a post-9-11 <laughs> flight <laughs> 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 to, to, to the East Coast. 
most. And she goes and, and pays Shia LaBeouf a visit. So she sneaks in while Shia LaBeouf is in a very compromising position. It's at this point that the girl who was molesting Shia at the party is back at his dorm room and she throws him on the bed and goes to start getting hot and heavy with him. And it's at that time that her dress slightly lifts up. Every boy's wet dream. And a scorpion-esque reticulating metallic tail comes out. It is laughable the way like her skirt flies up like she farted and then like <laughs> this tail shoots out. <laughs> it looks like a metallic turd is slipping its way out from her dress. It is hilarious. It's so bad. What do you guys think of the idea of Transformers disguising themselves as human beings? That like makes Terminator. That makes the most sense out of anything in this movie. Then why wouldn't they all do that? Yeah, but this is kind of weird. Like we're going into Terminator 3 territory here. It's mm-hmm. a weird choice, don't you think? It is. It was. It's a, it's a dead end anyway. It is. It's an absolute dead end. One of many dead ends in this movie. This is what happens when you write a script meant. A script meant. And, and, and you don't finish the they, they actually just sort of switch the words around meant to script. <laughs> oh, by the way, did you guys notice that Shia LaBeouf has a Bad Boys 2 poster on his wall? Oh. Wink, wink, wink. Now. How, how, could I, how could I miss it? He well, was writing all over it. Uh, Michael Bay. Yeah. <laughs> really? That's how Michael Bay? Oh, Michael Shameless Bay. Shameless self-promotion. Do you think Michael Bay was the one who set up the poster? Like, they already, they already did the, <laughs> the, the entire scene. They already built it. And Michael Bay's like, it's missing something. And he, and he comes in with, he personally comes in with the poster no, and puts he, it up. He has it in his wallet at all times. <laughs> like, fold it up. <laughs> he took it out. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> now it's ready. <laughs> He's like, perfect. <laughs> And action. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so Shia LaBeouf, Megan Fox, this obnoxious hacker guy, they're running around, they're being chased by the Terminator. I I really like this part where we're literally just... Just like in Terminator three. 2 or 3 or whatever, three. The, 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 the robot jumps on the car while they're trying to run away, punching through the window and stuff. I love this. Megan Fox must be driving 100 miles an hour, and then she drives her car right into a lamppost, mm-hmm. and the Transformer goes flying 1,000 feet in the air, but no one in the car moves. Like The airbags don't go off. Oh, that's that's the least ridiculous moment that they have in that car. Yeah, I'm going to have to oh. agree with Kevin. Yeah. That, that is the least ridiculous moment in that car. Well, because then as they're driving away, a helicopter comes and shoots a yes. uh, grappling hook down into the car. Straight out of the movie Swordfish with John Travolta. Yeah, but a bus, I think, has a little bit more <laughs> supports on it than the top of this sports car. By the way, this might be one of my favorite scenes in the movie. One of the only special effects shots that I really liked. I was like, oh, wow, that's kind of cool. The the helicopter is dangling in the car. Wait, just like Babylon AD. Yep. And the, the door of the car swings open and Shia LaBeouf is hanging out, hanging on by just the handle and the, the camera's just spinning around wildly. I actually like the way this shot looks. This is okay. I think that this is a good scene to have a camera spinning around. One of the only one of the only scenes <laughs> in this movie that's good to have a camera spinning around because Michael Bay, I don't think, ever stops. The camera cameras. never stopped moving in this movie. It's just never. constantly moving. How many 360-degree rotation shots were in this movie? How many track Dozens. shots do you think were in this movie? How oh, how, how many miles all. of track were laid down <laughs> to shoot this movie? Transcontinental from, from here to the moon from and back. here to the moon and back. <laughs> It's just dollies to the moon, and then three sixties around the moon, and then comes back to Earth. <laughs> the, the helicopter drops the car from like a thousand feet in the air. It slams out of the ground. The airbags go off. It, it slams as if you drove it into the ground from 40, 50 stories up. It, 
it would be like driving into a wall at a thousand miles an hour. <laughs> and they're all unharmed. The airbags go off. And they're fine. <laughs> so they, they get out of the car. They're unharmed. That, that was, of all of the absurd things that happened in this movie, that was just so cartoonish and unrealistic. <laughs> They just like, well, why? Why do something so incredibly stupid? That upsets you that he, that no one got hurt there. What really upsets me was later on in the movie when they teleport. Sam hurts his hand teleporting. Correct. Okay, so if anybody remembers the rumor mill back in, <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's right next to the gin mill. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Here comes Martin Hilton <laughs> with, the, with the latest celebrity gossip. <laughs> it was uh, alleged that. That Shia LaBeouf was driving under the influence and his truck flipped over while they were filming the movie and his hand sustained irreparable damage. <laughs> yeah, so it's in a bandage for a lot of this movie. Yeah, it's more than a bandage, though, because you can tell that they wrapped a cast up in, like, yeah. gauze. Even though the, the way they get around, they have Megan Fox, like, wrapping, like, a piece of her shirt or yeah, something. Yeah! It's like, oh, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> She's a medic. She has are you field right? training. <laughs> It really is just plot point after plot point after plot point that is pointless. It makes no sense. There is no logical, cohesive structure to anything in this movie. So let, let's just jump ahead to well, wherever we want. You want to around... jump ahead to Optimus dying? Because that was a ridiculous. Well, no, scene no, no. Me. We gotta, we gotta touch on, we gotta touch on the fact that it, it, it somewhere around that time when they were crashed down into the ground in the car. I don't know if it was before. Or oh after. yeah, 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 yeah. We, we take a nice journey out to Saturn. Oh yeah, deep space. Well, no, you. It, it, Jump cuts to Starscream flying to Saturn. Yeah, and he 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 left what at the end of the first movie, right? I have a I have a minor quibble for you guys. Oh, here we go. So Megatron goes into space. He right. goes to Saturn and he meets his master, the Fallen. This guy called the Fallen. Yeah, this is when we're introduced to the Fallen. Okay. Anyway, anyway, who's rega- seeking his revenge? Regardless, regardless, it is explicitly stated in the first movie that the Transformers can be damaged from cold. The cold hurts them. If you remember, they shot Bumble. Bumblebee with like that, like, like the, a fire extinguisher. Fire extinguisher, and it hurt him. And they they froze uh, Megatron. He was in ice that damaged him. That's why they dumped him at the bottom of the ocean because it's cold down there, and he couldn't reactivate. How is it possible for him to fly into the coldest of all places, deep space? The energy heatless void <laughs> of outer space. <laughs> he just unprotected, <clears throat> just flies into space. No, there's, there's not, there's no, there's nothing. There's no reason. And what do they find on Saturn or Ganymede or wherever the hell they go? Well, we basically find. Dracula's lair. Once again, Steven Sommers, <laughs> Steven Sommers returns. Find that there are sacks of robots waiting to be animated. I, I guess with the AllSpark, that was the intent. Kind of like using Frankenstein's machine to, <laughs> to bring life to Dracula's children. This, They're going to use the AllSpark to bring all of these this doesn't make baby, baby Decepticons in these sacks to life. Alright, here's a question I have. There, You have these little robots in sacks. Are they built? Are they born? They're born. From there, what? There. <laughs> From what? I just made that call. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense because in the first movie they say that all you have to do to make a transformer is to expose electronics to the AllSpark. That's it, right? Yeah. So we could oh, jump man. We could jump to... I don't remember what happened after. They interrogate the robot that Megan Fox had. I don't, yeah. rem- I don't remember that. To find out that what the symbols mean and who can tell them. So they figure out they need to find a prime and he knows where the prime is and they go to DC to the museum. I'm sorry, I don't I don't remember that at all. Well, it's around this point in the movie that something really significant happened to us. <laughs> Martin the 
decided that he had had enough <laughs> with Transformers 2. He made a conscious de- decision. I made a conscious laid, decision. He laid that on the floor and he fell asleep. <laughs> and uh, we have evidence of uh, what happened. So if, if not, <laughs> if now may, a dramatic, <laughs> a dramatic reenactment of what happened last night. This is raw, uncut footage of what actually transpired last night. Kevin had the presence of mind to actually record this. So everybody picture this. A very loud movie is playing in the background and Martin's on the floor sleeping. And then we hear this. <laughs> I like how you, I like how you can hear robots walking. <laughs> you can hear it's like, it's like. He's <laughs> unreal. And Martin was not the first person in the room to fall asleep. He was the second. I was I was the second fall. And his snoring was so loud it woke up the first person. <laughs> In all fairness, I didn't do that on purpose. I'm sorry, I did not mean to wake you up. Uh, so yeah, so this movie just completely falls apart. It completely falls off the rails. I mean, like, they find this old man transformer. He's a robot, but he acts like an old man. He's got a cane. He farts like a, a parachute. and Very apparent to me that they go into the Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C. to find him. Yeah. Correct? He busts through a door, and they run after him, and they're in the middle of, like, the Midwest in a mountain range. <laughs> How did that happen? By the way, Optimus Prime I, I, is dead, but who cares? That, that's kind of interesting okay, that they, yeah. they killed him off in the first half. And the, the rest, hour and a half, is just garbage. Well, what did you think of his uh, unceremonious drop-off oh, of Optimus this, Prime's body? This is this is one of my, my last really good notes. He's supposed to be like a, the equivalent of like their robot Jesus. And they just, just like throw him on the ground like a piece of trash. Yeah, so when Optimus Prime dies, remember, in the beginning, they were like, we fought blood, sweat, and precious metals. Like, they, they really respect this guy. So what do they do with this corpse? They just dump it like a turd <laughs> from like 100 feet in the air on the ground. Yeah, so who cares? I mean, there's a lot of just pointless action scenes. If we're gonna give anyone credit for anything in this movie, it should be for when Optimus dies, though, right? Because that fight scene in the woods, when it he's fighting Megatron and a couple other Decepticons, it looked pretty cool. It's just like the only thing worth seeing in this whole mess. What, what about that giant robot on the end that had scrotum? He had a, <laughs> yeah, he that, had was, a that was that was elegant. <laughs> <laughs> what it had really good like wind line curvature. Yeah, it was, it it was, was like, beautiful. It was, it was actually really ugly. It was the ugliest Transformer in this whole. Yeah, this big movie. giant. Thing that's my last note. Robot scrotum. The oh, robots. Oh, oh, the, yeah. the curvature of the robot scrotum was very Bauhaus. And by the by the way, Shia, Shia LaBeouf dies and he goes to robot heaven, <laughs> which Martin was asleep for. He didn't even get to I've, see. I've never in the theaters. I fell asleep and I missed robot heaven. I woke up at the end during the credits in the theaters. In this movie, again, same thing happened. I fell asleep and I wake up and they're like, "You miss robot heaven again." You know, I don't, I don't blame you. This movie is so bad. It's just so pointless and just like like Kevin had a really good point about this movie. So much stuff happens, yet nothing is going on, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just there's constant action. There's, there's The story keeps trying to go in all these different ways. <laughs> it never gets anywhere, and nothing happens. What I noticed until I fell asleep was that this movie is just a series of unrelated events. It really is. It, it really it, is. There's, just, there's it, no cohesion to any It's just a of, series of things. Exactly. This movie might be good if you just watch the action scenes on YouTube or something, and that's it. If right? they, You know what this movie is? If it was like a development house, like a CG development house, this could be Oh, like Skyline. Like this, demo this, reel. this, this could be their demo reel. All right, so that's it. I mean, is there anything else worth even talking about in this thing? Not really. Yeah, the good guys win, the bad guys lose. Well, oh, by the way, one, one last insight.
insight into our movie going last night. For the last, I would say, 20 minutes, I was fiddling with Kevin's phone, playing games on it. <laughs> so when they, I don't even know how they defeated the fallen because I was playing like I was playing games. I, I couldn't be bothered to look up. <laughs> well, Shy is able to bring Optimus back to life. The Matrix of Leadership. Yeah, he uses the Matrix of Leadership key to bring him <laughs> the stupidest name I've ever heard for anything. He he brings uh, Optimus back to life. Optimus is then reborn and he he takes some of the parts from the dying stealth jet fighter prime yeah, guy. Yeah, whatever. Who cares? And he destroys everyone. All so the that's guys. Transformers. Yeah. The, the uh, Revenge of the Fallen. The end. <clears throat> all right, so that that's it. Who, who cares? So... <laughs> Put this miserable part of our lives behind us. <laughs> all right, so let's find out what the real critics have to say about this movie. A horrible experience of unbearable length. Roger Ebert, Chicago Sun-Times. It sounds like he was raped. An unbearable experience of unbelievable length. <laughs> Transformers 2 has a shot at the title for the worst movie of the decade. Peter Travers, Rolling Stone. And finally, the first comparatively lucid Transformers was a headache. But I sort of enjoyed it. Revenge of the Fallen is more like listening to rocks in a clothes dryer for two and a half hours. <laughs> Michael Phillips of the Chicago Tribune. Okay, guys, this movie currently holds a 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. Is it really that bad? Yeah, this movie is horrendous. <laughs> 20% is extremely generous. I think that this movie is unwatchable. I know, for me, that this movie is unwatchable. Time and time again, I will try to watch it, and I think physically I have, like, a allergic reaction to it where I just lose consciousness. I'm giving this movie a hot, powerful, steamy blast, one out of five. Yeah, it doesn't deserve a 20%. This is another movie where I'm left wondering who the audience is is because it, it, it is violent and some of the things that the, that the robots and people say are not suitable for children that could just kind of brainlessly watch something like Suck this. my popsicle? Yeah, exactly. It's so incredibly stupid that it doesn't it, it shouldn't appeal to adults either. This is a one out of five and this makes other one out of fives look like twos or threes. I agree. One out of five. This was a miserable experience. You know, actually, I was riding on a two from the beginning of this movie but at a certain point it became unbearable to watch this movie. This is Waterworld for me. This is Waterworld level? Yeah. I had a better time watching one missed call than I did watching this. I agree with you. <laughs> that's, that's just so much. It, it's two and a half hours long. It feels like it's five hours long. It does Michael Bay not have an editing staff? He's the golden boy. He doesn't need editing. Right. Whatever. I do one take. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is cut. Hey, hey, but it made over $800 yeah, so, million. Dollars. So you two are the assholes here. Yeah, not, we're, not we're the jerks. Yeah. We, we don't know what we're talking about. Okay. All right, we got some voicemails. I'll play those for you right now to listen to your messages press one hey guys this is josh from Tulsa. hi guys this is vicky otherwise known as iggy star from detroit hey guys it's crystal kush from phoenix again yes the nerd from parts unknown i, I think you guys play a dirty pool with the selection of the movie this week i didn't watch transformers 2 rise of the fallen because i watched the first transformers movie see I, i'm smart enough not to fall for that again uh, so you guys are doing Transformers 2. Well, I recall I called in earlier and actually defended the first Transformers movie because I thought it was dumb fun, but this one was just dumb. I can't believe you guys are doing this. You guys must be gluttons for punishment. I have been waiting for you guys to review Transformer 2. I hated that movie so much. I call this Michael Bay's giant piece of crap part two because this movie, the first Transformers movie took a shit on the franchise. This one is just a thousand times worse. 
But yeah, it just everything about it was so much worse. It was almost the same as the first one, yet every single element that was bad about the first one was just like enhanced. The kid was more annoying, uh, Megan Fox just didn't seem that hot anymore. The parents were super dumb, even though they were actually, I thought, the funniest part of the first one. First of all, I hated the over-stylized Transformers, and that's kind of a holdover from the first one, but I still despise it. There's one older Transformer, and they have to go find him, uh, and they go to find him, and he acts like an old man. But that makes no sense, because as we all know, Transformers are machines, and they can't get old or act like old men or be senile like old men. So how the hell is this giant machine acting like an old, senile man? It makes no sense. And I normally don't go there, but those two Transformers, I can't remember, Bink, Zink, whoever their names are, but those have to be two of the most racially insensitive, stereotypical characters since Misa, Wisa, Jar Jar Binks. Gold teeth, yep, check. Jar talk, check. Really? Along with that, we have a humping dog, a mom that's high on weed brownies, and let's not forget Megan Fox's lips. What is wrong with Michael Bay? The robot fights, I couldn't tell what was going on. Uh, it was it was all confusing and just, it made me actually dislike the first one a little more. Even Shia LaBeouf didn't like this movie, and as an actor who needed to be employed, he talked about the movie disparagingly. Plus, I thought exposing my 11-year-old to Transformer balls wasn't really the wise parenting choice. I asked my 12-year-old son who did watch it what his opinion was. He saw both movies. He thought I made the right decision by staying away from uh, the second one compared to the first one. So This movie's bad. This is a bad movie. Don't watch this movie. Don't tell your friends about this movie. End of new messages. Thanks for those voicemails. Thanks, guys. Okay, so let's read some listener mail. Paul writes in talking about Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen. There's something strange about these movies. I feel like Michael Bay is making a movie directed at families, and it is a family fun summer action film, but he perverts it with these overwhelmingly sexualized women and horny, foul-mouthed robots and pot-brownie-wielding mothers. Plus, each character is so over the top, you think they were all doing meth off-camera before filming their scene. I couldn't stand this movie when I left the theater. I had a massive headache. Rotten hell. Transformers. So Bryce writes in, question for the host, so what services do you guys use to get a hold of the movies you watch for the show? Do you guys happen to own all these clunkers? Or do you use a service like Netflix or rent through iTunes or Amazon? Love the show, keep the good work. Mostly Netflix. And if if we have to, we'll go to Blockbuster to rent it. Joe writes in with a personal question, he says. (laughs) A personal plea from Joe. Hey guys, first of all, I have to say I near enough ejaculated when you mentioned doing a DCU podcast in the last episode. I know it probably won't happen, but I suppose the next best thing would be me asking a few questions, especially as you asked for some more personal ones. One, it seems you like DC heroes, and I remember you saying in a previous episode that you were huge Batman fans. But other than Batman, who is obviously the best, who's your favorite superhero? I don't even have an answer to this. (laughs) This is a really, really heavy, heavy, complicated question to ask. All right, we'll come back to that another time. (laughs) Two, what do you think of comic book movies, both character-based and directed adaptation, i.e. Captain America was a storyline written for the film, but Watchmen was a direct adaptation of a specific book? I prefer the Watchmen route, where you take a story that's yeah, already so done. Yeah, so do I. Because those are usually good. They're written by one guy who has a clear vision, and they don't have 800 people tampering with the script. The movie as a standalone piece is usually
usually better. I agree with you, Joel, if it is taken from source material. A V for Vendetta is another great example. But it also allows the fanboy audience, I guess, to get let down a little bit more because uh, it doesn't live up to expectations. I would much rather watch a one-shot story like Watchmen or V for Vendetta than a Spider-Man movie. Like, like a series. Yeah, it's been done already. I, I want like new original stuff. You know? I swing the other way. Yeah? Yeah. You, Watchmen, I, I guess, because I had too high of expectations for Watchmen, it let me down. You just want ba- infinite Batman movies yeah. forever, right? Yeah. That's why maybe the ca- I, I would be a happy camper. That's why maybe the caveat is you have to look at it as like a standalone piece. We never should have brought up the DC universe in the last podcast. That was like the biggest mistake Three, I uh, made. Three, yeah. <laughs> Three, do you enjoy animated films, particularly DC's films like Batman <laughs> Mask of the Phantasm or Justice League Crisis on Two Earths? Yes. I, I, I own Mask of the Phantasm. I saw that in the theaters. Mask of the Phantasm is a phenomenally yeah. well animated. The story's great. I like animated movies in general. These DCU movies are hit or miss with me, though. Leo writes in and says, How's it going, guys? I've been doing some facts about the actors and directors you guys have covered in your films. So here is how many people you've been doing so far. Starting with the actors. You did four Dennis Quaid movies, three films, each with Nicolas Cage, and three with Kate Beckinsale, two with the likes of Emily Browning, Oliver Platt, Cameron Diaz, Tom Cruise, and others. As for directors, you have done three films by Michael Bay, Steven Somers, and two each by Roland Emmerich, Paul W.S. Anderson, and Doug Lyman. Is there any other actor or director the three of you want to take on again soon? Of course, Nicolas Cage will pop up again. It's yeah, impossible it. not to. And Quaid's got to get in there again. What was the score on Soul Surfer? Because oh, Quaid was another great father. No, well, I'm not watching that. Uh-oh. <laughs> Shara writes in and says, do you all have any favorite game shows? The Price is Right. It's therapeutic. I like a nice Jeopardy. That's a game of skill as opposed to chance. Soul Surfer is 46%. All right, come on. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. We could quade it up again, Joel. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know if I watch any game shows. Okay. Right, there you go. Oh, Cash Cab. Yeah, that's, a good uh, that's a good one. Okay. John writes in and says, hello, gentlemen. Just caught up and you guys said something two episodes ago that made me want to write in. You kind of dissed Kevin Smith when you were talking about podcasts that you listen to. I think I feel the same way as you concerning his mostly shitty body of films. But when I saw his latest movie, Red State, I was really impressed. It's a complete 180 from his previous films. And despite being destroyed by critics who didn't seem to know it wasn't supposed to be a comedy, I think he might actually pick up an Academy Award for it. The acting, cinematography, and directing are all A+. And you should probably check it out. I don't know. Yeah, that, that's, we, that's, I saw that on Netflix, him? maybe. Yeah, yeah I, I don't remember dissing him. I, I don't remember I, doing that. Yeah, I just remember saying that, uh, that I stopped listening to his podcast. Yeah. All right, but there you go. He, he says, listen, check out Red State. You might enjoy it. <laughs> Scott writes in and says, hey, guys, here's a question for you. What do you like to do besides watch movies? I'm assuming it's some of the same things most of us like to do, but I'm sure we would all love to hear about your other passions in life. We're all very... We, I we, only watch movies. Yeah, no, no, no. myself no. in a room. Me, me, Joel, and Kevin have a lot of similarities, but we are into very different things, I think. Wildly <laughs> <laughs> different things. You choose your words very carefully. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Surfing's probably what I do the most. It's what I love doing the most. Miniature golf? Oh, yeah, I play basketball a lot. I just ran a 12-mile mud run obstacle course last Sunday, the Tough Mudder Tri-State. Completed it. There you go. As for me, I am the king of starting hobbies and then never finishing them. Never finishing any of them. I have a massive file. This whole podcasting thing is one of the few that's actually stuck. Yeah. So It's only because you have so much cash invested in it. You can't, you can't, <laughs> you can't give up can't on give it yet. 
Bob, you're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what the hell have I done in the past? Like, um, The uh, remote control helicopter was one of them. Uh, remember, the, remember that? Remote control helicopter, uh, exercise, shaving. Um, I'm baking. Oh, the shaving was the good one. Remember yeah, Remember yeah. the shaving? You went out and got the badge. Well, no, no, no. Don't, don't say anything. I want it to be a real mystery to the listeners. They're like, what the hell? <laughs> I remember when it would take I, you. I, I we, me and you would go out for the night, and it would take you. You'd have to. You'd spend two hours shaving. I, I want this to be my, my Pirates of the Caribbean. People are going to be like, what? <laughs> Yeah, so there's like I, I've been baking and cooking lately. I, I'm taking piano lessons right. on top of doing all this podcasting crap. I do computer programming for fun, design, a lot of garbage. I, I mean, yo-yo like, tricks. Oh, the yo-yo tricks! I forgot about magic that tricks. one. The magic <laughs> tricks are still in juggling. Yeah, I taught myself how to juggle. Yeah. Joel also tightrope walks and yeah. he, uh, <laughs> he trains elephants. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm a circus clown. <laughs> So there you go. And all right, finally, this is an important question. I want to hear what Kevin has to say about this. Robert writes in and says, Hi, guys. Really love the show. A couple of weeks ago, you said you wanted serious questions. So here goes. The Large Hadron Collider. Good idea or the end of the world? Great idea. Yeah, amazing idea. The I'm off best already. idea. <laughs> Dirty. Just destroying all the uh, preconceptions he had about. Suck it, Einstein, as of two days ago. <laughs> That's right. I just said suck it, Einstein. <laughs> Listen, if we're ever going to build a time machine, it's through this thing. Yeah. And then that doors slightly opened more today than it was as far ago. as intergalactic exploration which i want to see in my lifetime it's this thing that's going to make it happen okay so let's do the uh, the question of the week and if you remember the question of the week was was an academy award-winning movie that you hated there are so many responses here let's just pick a couple of these anonymous said the english patient i don't understand all the love the academy got as this is just completely overlong and boring fargo should have won for best picture crystal said eight mile that movie is just random collection of eminem music video screenshots that were strung into a depressing and altogether sorry film. Al said, I hated the Hurt Locker. That bored me to tears. I didn't really care about the characters, especially the jackass protagonist. I found it very forgettable after the credits rolled. The Hurt Locker, more like the Dull Locker. And Glorious Bastards was robbed of a Best Picture and Director Oscar because of this overrated pile of crap. Paul said, Crash, too preachy and too slow. Shannon said, Definitely the English patient. Mama's Little Monkey Man said, Rain Man was such a piece of shit. What? <laughs> yeah, I disagree with that. And I'm not like a huge Tom Cruise fanboy like Kevin Amen, is. It's amazing. <laughs> I don't think it's amazing, but it's a it's a good movie. It's amazing. It's a good it's a good movie. Wendell said Ordinary People and Dances with Wolves. Kitana said Shakespeare in Love. What was the Academy smoking around this time? This movie is really cheesy and clearly does not deserve to win Best Picture. Saving Private Ryan should have taken home that prize. Big Daddy Fat Sack said I would say Shakespeare in Love. And he also says Jerry Maguire is a close second. This is a lifetime movie at best. Cord said, A Beautiful Mind. This movie is so melodramatic. It beat out the first Lord of the Rings movie for the top prize. Shoot said, I absolutely hate Chicago. How the hell did that win over the pianist? And finally, Anonymous said, I didn't really like The English Patient, but it won so many Oscars because of the lack of competition. Not because it's great at all. I mean, what else was it supposed to win? Shine? Sling Blade? Ghosts of Mississippi? Fargo? <laughs> I thought Fargo was a great movie and so was Sling Blade, so. Called Sarcasm. I'm sorry, it didn't transfer very well to that piece of paper you were holding. <laughs> I didn't I, I didn't get their dry, witty humor. Yeah, you're just another one of those Yankee doodles. You know? I am. You got me. All right, fine. Okay, as for next week's question of the week, Rachel writes in, and this is pretty relevant, given the next movie we're going to review. Rachel writes in and says, what is a movie that best illustrates your childhood? What movie totally wraps up what your childhood was all about? So head on over to yesthatbad.com, leave a comment on this episode's page with your answer. Now it's time to announce the 
winner of the listener's choice poll. And the choices were Space Jam versus Jumanji. And the winner is Jumanji. Whoa, Jumanji. Who would have expected this? Robin Williams, David Allen Greer. In the jungle, you must wait till you roll a five or eight. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can't wait <laughs> So if you've already seen this movie Give us a call at 973-797-9324 Give us a call Leave us your little mini review And we'll play it on the show Okay, thanks for listening to the show If you like what you've heard Please consider subscribing We have a new episode every Tuesday Please leave us a positive review on iTunes Those five-star reviews really do help out the show Head on over to facebook.com Slash yeah, it's that bad And click the like button That will help spread the word of the show to all your friends. Also, keep an eye out for our Facebook page because we will be uploading a special Facebook-only exclusive episode in which we reviewed... In time, we all sat down and uh, got our pads out and went out for a night at the movies. <laughs> we, all, we, we, all, we all went out to the movies and we went to the concession stand and grabbed ourselves a snack. Yeah, so this is kind of a more unconventional episode, which is why I'm putting it up into the, the Facebook feed instead of on the main feed. So it's not in the official canon, but whatever. So if you want to listen to this episode, you have to click the like button to get it. Head on over to facebook.com slash yeah, it's that bad. Click the like button. You can also follow us on Twitter at yeah, it's bad. And you can also listen to our show via Stitcher, which you can download at www.stitcher.com. Once again, thanks for listening to the show. See you next time. Bye. Not in a sweaty Top Gun way. It no, was in no. an artificial way. Oh yeah, they, they were sweating for real in Top Gun. <laughs> Top Gun, it was really, it was, it was too hot to handle. <laughs> they, they didn't have the technology in the eighties. <laughs> they had to do all their sweating practically. Not they had CG sweat. Not this. <laughs>